Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Sean Hathi Ramani, and Sean is the CEO of FlockJ, a very interesting company, which I'll let him explain more about. Really enjoyed this interview. Uh, Sean knows a lot about how to sell something, and his company helps students figure out how to sell stuff. Uh, and sales has been an inter- interesting thing for me. One thing I've been recently noticing is that in order to get people on the show for the podcast, I have to do a lot of cold calls. And at first, that cold calling, usually just reaching out to people on Twitter, but also LinkedIn, wherever I can find them. Um, usually that cold calling was uh, stressful for me in the first couple months, but now I've been doing this for two years. Uh, and so cold calling, when it comes to the podcast, is super easy for me. I, I don't have to think about it anymore. When somebody says, no, it's not a huge deal at all. I don't care if there's like thousands of people I want to interview. Um, so it just doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, but then the interesting thing for me now that I'm learning is the sales aspect of actually selling something because I do have I do have uh, products and services that I'm now interested in selling, um, and that is an interesting thing because I don't um, the there's something I haven't figured out about it that I want to learn, um, and this is part of the reason why I was interested in talking about Sean, uh, and so this is all information that I'm interested in knowing, and and Sean has a lot of valuable wisdom to share here. So hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I just want to let you guys know that I'm starting to do more interviews in other languages. Uh, I'm thinking about making a change very quickly to uh, either Mexico, Colombia, or Brazil, um, and going doing more interviews in Spanish and going chronicling the rise of technology innovation. Uh, I have already started to do interviews remotely uh, f- with these people, but I'm thinking about going down and actually making a move specifically to these places um and it's interesting what i'm noticing in my precursory research is that mexico city seems to be the place where most of the founders are moving Uh, yc invested a lot in a lot of companies in mexico city and it seems that founders from other countries are moving to mexico other countries in latin america are moving to mexico city in order to um, start their companies there which is a really, really interesting kind of shift uh, that we're seeing. Uh, and then Sao Paulo would be an interesting place, of course. I already have a lot of connections there with a lot of companies. Uh, Brazil is a huge market um, and traditionally has a lot of technology people. I mean, a lot of interest, a lot of founders in, in San Francisco are from Brazil as well, which is which is very interesting. So yeah, I'm going to make this move soon and uh, and do a lot more uh, content in other languages. So if you want to listen to that. Um, go ahead and follow at Crazy Wisdom ESP. Um, that's going to be my first one in Spanish, uh, and uh, I'll be releasing the episodes in Spanish on that on that channel there. And if you want to follow my personal account, if you want to kind of let me know what you think of this episode, find me at, at Stuart Alsop III on Twitter. I'd love to hear what you think. Please send me a DM. My DMs are open. I'd love to hear whatever anybody thinks about the show or just what you're working on if, if, if you want to be interviewed too, if you're doing something interesting, if you're a uh, you know, founder or a creative. Basically, I, just, I, I interview people who are creating things daily um, and really what, what that means uh, in this day and age. So yeah, come find me at Stuart Alsop III or at Crazy Wisdom ESP uh, if you speak Spanish and you want to listen to the episodes in Spanish. So have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest is Sean Hathi Ramani. Uh, he is the CEO and founder of FlockJ, 
uh, and they train job seekers from all kinds of backgrounds to get future-proof sales tech jobs, uh, tech job or sales jobs in tech. And I'm really excited to have you on and welcome. Hey, Stuart. Thank you for having me. Really uh, glad to be here. Yeah. So how did you get involved in FlockJ? Where did the idea come from? Sure. Uh, I've derived a lot of energy in my life from teaching. Uh, my family is first generation to this country and education and access have always been themes uh, growing up. I grew up in a small town in New Jersey and um, that's where I first started to realize that there is the education piece, which is working really hard to understand and get the skills you need to succeed in life and the access and opportunity piece, which is even if you do all those things, knowing that the doors exist to walk through is a separate you know, battle and set of equations. And for me, that moment came when my family realized that um, a neighbor on our, our block, um, their bus was different and we knocked on their door and asked them what was going on. And that's how we learned about financial aid and scholarships and private school. And so in many ways, this idea of teaching and access and bridging the two um, has been something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. Specifically with FlockJ and thinking about what are the skills to inform the jobs of the future, uh, especially amidst what we think is a reskilling crisis. They're just the job market is changing so fast and education isn't keeping up with that. A lot of that for me personally came from teaching financial literacy. When I lived in Chicago, I built and started nonprofits um, where I taught financial literacy on the West and South Side in high schools. And I did something similar in New York when I was living there um, as well. And financial literacy is one of those skills that isn't taught in a lot of high schools and a lot of colleges. Um, how do you deal with compound interest and credit card debt and student loan debt, things like that. So when I moved out to San Francisco, it was this huge awakening to think about this question of what are the skills that inform the jobs of the future and what are the most accessible on-ramps into tech? And sales was the clear, resounding um, answer to that from every company I spent time with uh, in the startup world, where the ability to predictably hire elite sales talent was really hard because no one was teaching it and there is no credential for it. So that's where FlockJ came from. And what is sales? Sorry, say that again. What is, what is sales? What is sales? Uh, sales fundamentally is a life skill that you, me, everyone uses daily. It's the ability to move others. It's the ability to listen um, to the problems that people have. It's the ability to be a trusted advisor and a thought leader in a field. Um, and today, what sales means, it's having a combination of digital fluency, so domain expertise, and human connection. Uh, especially in this age of automation, being able to empathize with where someone is uh, in their work and in their business and being able to identify the two or three ways that your solution can map to their problem. So sales is this life skill and the ability to move others and solve problems. And to me, it's never been more important in any business, but especially in tech. What is different about between sales and tech and sales in the traditional, like maybe entre um, uh, big enterprise type of situations? Yeah, I'll zoom out and I'll talk a little bit about how sales itself has changed because I think we're in a really interesting moment in history on how we purchase products. Uh, not too long ago, there was a pretty vast asymmetry of information between buyers and sellers. 
So even today, when you walk into a Subaru dealership and you're looking to buy a car, there is still a pretty winding process you navigate where you're trying to figure out and discover what the right price value equation is because you don't necessarily have all that information. But today, more than you ever had before, there is transparency of information and price online. And that's changed the way in which sales exists. And so tech sales is on the frontier of that change and it is that much more different than a lot of legacy ways of selling, whether it's insurance or car or finance or retail. So tech sales differs dramatically from a lot of other domains because buyers usually have around 70% of the information they already need to solve the problem they have. So it's really dependent on being that trusted advisor and thought leader to partner with who you're selling to um, and think about how do I solve this problem with you um, in, a, in a very efficient and empathetic way. So that's a really distinct element in tech sales that's increasingly applicable in other areas as well. And you guys teach these students how to do it remotely and I imagine that a lot of the actual job of selling once they've gotten the job at a company also happens remotely. This is something I've, I've talked a lot about on the show is that essentially uh, salespeople were the first remote job. Is that, is that, would you agree? Yeah. It's, sales itself as a profession is as old as time, hmm. right? Like whether you were going door to door selling, um, whether it's scripture or books or anything in between, uh, we've been in the business of transacting with each other and simplifying lots of choices into few choices for a while. And so you're right, like sales is both the original remote job and the original field job, right? Like you can move others, uh, whether it's over the phone or over email or showing up at their door, it doesn't have to happen in the four walls of an office. So the things we teach are fundamental foundational skills used in B2B SaaS sales. And a lot of that is applicable to any kind of sales, frankly. It's how do you practice active listening? How do you mirror and match someone's tone? How do you lead a discovery call where you're asking open-ended questions and really learning about the kinds of pain points that a customer has so that in real time you can improvise, adapt, and adjust how you present what you represent to that person? So a lot of it is that piece of it. And then there's a separate piece of it of, decoding the very specific language of tech. So there is a very distinct um, industry specific set of ways we interact with each other in tech. And when you are selling um, feature flagging DevOps software to a developer, that is a very different sale than selling payroll software to a small business. So being able to navigate those conversations and using tools like Salesforce, like Outreach, like LinkedIn Sales Navigator, uh, is really important and, and isn't really being taught in a foundational way. Do you guys also teach how to deal with uh, no's and rejection? It's a huge and very entertaining part of FlockJ <laughs> is teaching how to deal with objections. And there are a lot of creative ways to, to talk about it because it tests a lot of patience and improvisation and listening. And uh, I think one of the most exciting parts of what we're doing is that the skills you learn in FlockJ, we get feedback from our students become immediately applicable in a bunch of different areas in life. So I've had students come to me and say, Hey, Sean, this FlockJ thing is great for my next job, but my personal relationships just 
dramatically changed because now I can handle objections with my partner in a way that I never have before and actually listen and actually pause and actually deconstruct rather than being reactive or pushy or any of those things. So the process of self-discovery and transformation that happens to a lot of students in FlockJ maps to the fact that sales is this life skill and we're doing it all the time and we don't even realize it. And then it all goes back to essentially awareness then you're, you're teaching self-awareness because in that moment I've experienced it a few times where I'm, where I'm, I'm starting to do, uh, to do sales as well. And when I, when I go into the first conversations I've been having, when I'm trying to sell, when I'm selling, uh, I immediately, like I have this image in my head of salesperson, sell, sell the thing, you sell the thing, you talk to the person, you sell them the thing. But as I've been discovering, that's not at all how it works. And you, you're supposed to listen, but immediately once I get in the conversation, I get, I get that nervousness and I'm like, yeah, start speaking uh and yeah. it goes, goes goes totally wrong <laughs> and, uh, yeah you're, you're exactly right sales is the art of listening um it's the art of asking really good questions and it's the art of listening because if you're doing your job well um your prospect your lead is doing the selling for you they're telling you exactly how they want to be sold to and all you have to do is partner with them on that journey and to me that's one of the most exciting and empowering parts of it. So not only are we teaching awareness, we're also sort of giving you permission to succeed and permission to ask uh, questions that may feel uncomfortable for you to ask, like direct questions around how does this sound to you, you know, and pause and you wait to hear an answer as opposed to what usually happens, which is what you described, which is the show up and throw up. Like you get on the phone and you just start, you know, <laughs> spewing, you know, all these things that you have in your head. Um, so to me, those are the fine arts of interacting with people that we go through. And this is something that I've tried to do on the show as well. That's the show is teaching me is that, well, first of all, I've stopped doing ums and ahs when other people are speaking. Um, and the second thing is, I'm trying to do it right now, slowing down my voice, pauses, uh, holds. And then another thing I have not gotten comfortable with, but one person in particular I've interviewed three times um, has kind of forced me to become comfortable with it, which is essentially total silence, even while we're recording for multiple minutes. Um, and that, that one, the silence is a really interesting thing because if you just remain silent and comfortable in that silence, uh, then the other person a lot of times gets kind of uncomfortable and things will come up, right? Is that correct? What, what is this role of silence in the sales process? Yeah, just there, I was silent. So I was waiting for you to ask the second question. <laughs> so you're, you're absolutely right. And I think not only does silence afford you that opportunity to learn even more in a conversation and force those kinds of cognitive leaps, but it also allows you time to process. And I think the way in which we move in society is someone asks you something or says something, and because we're moving so quickly, your immediate urge is to respond. And I think there are some really great leaders who take half a second to just process, and then they can compose in their heads um, something that actually embraces what was being said and, and sets up the next part of the conversation.
what do you guys look for in your students before they go through the program? One of the things that we've been extremely focused on is examining systematic bias and how companies build sales teams. I'll give you a very anecdotal example. So you might believe that D1 athletes are really great predictors of great salespeople. And that may be the case. Generally, when this view comes up, it's because the folks doing the hiring are D1 athletes themselves and or they've hired D1 athletes and only D1 athletes. And so the data set that you're drawing that conclusion from is inherently stacked and biased. But the beautiful thing, if you um, are tracking success across a wide variety of situations, you have CRM software, you can actually see daily who is setting the most meetings, who is closing the most deals. So you can start to work backwards and derive some of the traits that make really successful salespeople. And a lot of those traits may not be what you expect. There is a image in folks' minds of the Wolf of Wall Street sort of image of sales. And the reality is, is you have folks who've been teachers before or folks who've taught you know, high school math or uh, worked as a waiter or a bartender or worked in hospitality. Uh, those kinds of backgrounds where you've been able to combine a set of skills we've identified like curiosity, coachability, time management, grit, uh, empathy, and there are ways to measure that and ways to see how much adversity have you overcome, how comfortable are, how comfortable are you with failure? Because sales is a game of failure. It is a losing game. And the goal is to lose as little as possible. The goal is to disqualify as many people as possible so that you can actually focus your time on the worthwhile opportunities. So those are the kinds of things we think about to overcome a lot of the system level bias in thinking about sales talent. And I think that's allowed us to find some really amazing stories. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we had a recent grad. She's a 41-year-old grandmother from Lithonia, Georgia, making minimum wage at a Bojangles, like a fried chicken restaurant out there. Uh, but she's also the matriarch of her family, and she's always served others before herself and kept a lot of trains moving uh, and worked a bunch of different jobs to make that happen. And so you would think that that wouldn't be a template for someone who's great in tech sales, right? We all have an image of what someone in tech sales looks like. There might be a fleece vest involved in that image, but we're here to challenge that. And so uh, the student went from this position to now making three times that amount as a top performing sales rep at Gusto in Denver. And so we were able to identify that that ability to hold everything together, to also run a process where there are a lot of moving pieces involved and also be a great communicator, those are all little data points that we selected uh, in our evaluation process. And we were able to uh, empower her to rewrite the story of her career. Uh, this is a question I've been thinking about a lot recently is what is effective communication? What goes into effective communication? A lot of it is the things we're talking about. There are little nuances of being able to take a step back and to appreciate that communication is a two-way, not one-way process. And a lot of that process is listening and it's mirroring and matching 
and improvising and being thoughtful and being doing your research. Uh, so much of communication is showing up with the right context so that you can have a highly relevant and human uh, connection, right? Like the point of good communication is to form a connection with someone on a level that's deep and human, particularly in sales, because we as humans are extremely smart at telling what's real from what's fake. We get so many spam sequence emails in our inboxes these days and so many robocalls that we're getting better and better at sussing out things that attempt to be human and good communicators. So to me, communication is about context and clarity and empathizing with the other person. Have you ever done a comedy improv before? You know, one of my uh, childhood dreams was to be a stand-up comic. Huh. Um, and I think I have a huge amount of respect for the craft because uh, you have to be constantly uh, processing inputs from what you're saying from the audience, uh, whether it's improv or stand-up. Reacting to that, processing and reacting, and continuing to lead a very um, thoughtful but performative like set of interactions. Some of the best improv and stand-up comedians actually are very well prepared and have a lot of context, and they make it seem like everything is new and fresh on the spot, but it's rhythms that they've went through and context that they have and studies of how we behave um, that makes them really good. That's really cool. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of improv recently uh, and I've been thinking I want to do it online. I want to do Zoom. I feel like it would be really cool to do it on Zoom. There are some things that are applicable that I think you could kind of do it. Do you guys include any sort of improv training in your, in your, in your curriculum? Yeah, we actually have brought in an improv um, coach before uh, to run through some fun exercises. That's really cool. What was the result of that? I think a lot of laughter <laughs> and a lot of, and I think one of the coolest things about doing it on Zoom is that Zoom is this unlock where uh, you and I are having this conversation virtually, but you're in my living room and I'm in your living room and it feels as present as you can get and you can create that sense of connection. And one of the most powerful things that students walk away from FlockJ with is that community and that connection. And I think that also gives them permission to succeed. So much of being great in a profession like sales is feeling like you have support and encouragement to pick yourself up from that terrible cold call you just did, get the pat on the back and keep going. And that only happens when you create a really authentic environment for folks to fail safely and to be supported. And Zoom facilitates that kind of interaction which is really cool that's awesome how, how did you so i, I saw on your linkedin you, you went to harvard for mathematics and did you get a sales job after that how do you know about why do you know about sales yeah so i studied applied math in school and like most of my friends and most of us graduating i had no idea what was next i graduated in the summer of 2008 the world was about to end. <laughs> and all I really knew for sure <laughs> is that I had to be financially independent. That's it. <laughs> uh, and so to me, I mentioned before that I worked a lot in teaching and financial literacy. I took a job in finance to teach myself finance on the job. I actually had no practical skills. And the idea was to learn finance on the job and then in my free time, teach those skills uh, in schools and pay it forward. 
And that's where my fascination with what I'll call last mile skills came from. And so I view that set of skills in sales as part of the same continuum of skills that aren't taught anywhere, but can dramatically change your life once you have them. And so I encountered sales when I moved out to San Francisco, left finance, to, you know, basically realized that over the past 10 years, I derived so much energy from teaching, uh, from being in the classroom, that I wanted to work for startups um, basically for free and learn what were the skills like financial literacy that could unlock someone's career, that could be life-changing, that were the most accessible on-ramp into tech. And that's how I discovered sales. Every company I worked at had the same problem, which is we don't know how to predictably hire top sales talent. Sure, many people apply for this job, but there's no credential to map what I'm witnessing in this interview to their future success in the role. And that's how I encountered it. And then I started reading online, like what is literature on tech sales? And it was very homogenous, very high level, and not very tactical or informative um, for someone to apply. Um, and that's where I got excited. I reached out to Kelly, who's our head of sales, who's the first account executive at Intercom. She built and scaled their entire inbound sales team, uh, an outbound sales team from zero to 100 plus. Uh, I was at Google and Fox before that. And that's where we bonded uh, over both diversity in tech, or the lack thereof, and sales as this life-changing profession for her and for others um, that allows you to access a lot of what others had in tech. That's really interesting. I really like this framing that you do of teaching skills that nobody teaches you, but that are core foundational life skills. And it goes into what I've been learning in terms of like science, in terms of if I want to learn something really well, you go to the basics. So I'm learning biology right now and I'm learning about DNA and I'm just repeating over and over and over again, what is DNA? It's a, it's a way of sequencing proteins um, based on some recombinative thing. And it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm still getting it, but, and then it reminds me of teaching breath work as well. I'm teaching breath work online via zoom and uh, breath work is nobody teaches you how to breathe. But it's this interesting process that we have that's mostly autonomic, uh, but for people who have mental health issues that if you learn how to control the breath, you can also learn how to have some sort of influence over your mental health issues as well. And it's, it, it's in really interesting because I, I love this, the sales, um, sales as a core foundational thing. And most people going into tech are like, oh, I got to learn how to code. Because coding yep. is the thing that that's the basic thing. But that, now I'm like, well, is it though? Because, you know, a lot of things now are being able to, eventually we're going to, I do believe we're probably going to build technology that will build itself. So yep. maybe what you guys are talking about, is that more long-term thing, which maybe where you, where you get the future-proof thing? Yeah. So as I think about what are the jobs of the future, and I think about this assumption as an industry we've made of, if you want to work in tech, learn to code. I agree with you. I think a lot of lightweight full stack developer functions will get abstracted away and they already are getting abstracted away. That doesn't diminish the need for engineers. I think it is incredibly powerful what that can do, but also learning to code isn't for everyone, uh, right? Like you may not want to do that. We actually get a lot of engineers who apply to Flockj because they crave the human connection and toolkit and skill set 
to be able to connect with others. I do believe sales is a foundational atomic building block. And a lot of folks who start in entry-level sales roles in tech land up being the future leaders of those companies because a lot of the things they're doing externally are applied internally in moving stakeholders and other people in their team and surfacing uh, insights from customers and product and looping that back into the development cycle. So I think there are a lot of different on-ramps into tech. For me, I'm most passionate about this particular one, sales, because of the accessibility. Anyone from that 41-year-old grandmother to a SpaceX engineer can do Flockche and launch their tech career. Um, you don't need a college degree to be amazing in sales. There is no one background that maps to success in sales. So you contain a lot of those superpowers already. It's just how do you manifest unlocking those superpowers and, and letting that potential come out? That is the magic of what we do at FlockJ. And I think that to me is um, something really special, not only in tech, but just broadly. And how many are you getting a lot of people who want to do the sales training, but aren't actually uh, uh, interested in getting a job? They want to start their own company and things like that. We do. And right now we are really focused on our mission, which is providing and paving new pathways into tech for folks from non-traditional and underrepresented backgrounds. Um, so net new people from outside the bubbles into the industry is what we're focused on now. But you can imagine a lot of companies ask us, hey, FlockJ is amazing. We just hired you know, a bunch of folks from you. Can you now train our entire sales team? And that's great, but we, you know, we are not in a position to do that right now. But, and we also really want to be focused. I think starting a company is the art of saying no to a lot of shiny things and a lot of non-priorities, right? Which may become priorities down the road. That kind of focus is what we're striving for um, and being really aligned with our mission, which is to empower that upward mobility uh, through education and access. And so far that's focused mostly on upward mobility within the United States, correct? Yeah, I mean, we obviously hope to be able to serve lots of places outside the US. This is a global reskilling crisis and we get a lot of interest from outside the US as well and we will get there. Uh, I think it's just what can we do well right now? Every student we admit into Flockje, we're making them a promise, right? Like we wanna keep up our end of the bargain which is we invest in you. We take on the entire cost of this education ourselves and we wanna align our outcome with your outcome. So in order to do that, you have to be really focused and, um, and, and, and set people up for success. Mm. Do you have like a meditation practice or, a, or any sort of spiritual practice or anything like that? Yeah, I, you mentioned breathing, and that was a conversation I wanted to, a thread I wanted to pull a little deeper because breathing is one of those things that unlocks parts of you that have always been there, but maybe have been captive inside of you in terms of calmness, in terms of self awareness, and especially when getting through trauma or discomfort or uncertainty in life. And it's an amazingly powerful experience physically and, and physiologically to go through uh, and meditation and breathing have been really important uh, to me in the last couple of years of my life because you're able to 
that sense of self-awareness to who you are and where you, you know, how you're moving in the world. And I think one of the things that we as a society are grappling with right now is how tech can be responsible, a responsible enabler of productivity and success without sacrificing the humanity of, um, of, of the folks it seeks to serve. And I do think that breathing, meditation, self-awareness, taking moments to be intentional about what you're doing, those are the kinds of things that hopefully can help the leaders of companies in our industry to pause for a moment and evaluate the knock-on effects of what we're building. So yes, I am a huge believer in, in being intentional about uh, how we move uh, through life every day and, and the kinds of things we devote our energy to. And it also is impacting how we're building FlockJ. We want to reflect the change we want to see in the world. And that influences how we hire and um, who invests in us. So 50% of our investors are female or non-binary or people of color. 50% uh, of our team is female um, and people of color, right? So uh, female, non-binary um, and people of color. And so we don't solve for any of those things. I think it just takes a lot of work to think about um, building culture, building intention, uh, and building purpose to what we're doing mm. uh, at Flock and just in life. Mm. I'd love to talk more about the the bias that you're talking about and how you guys are you guys are solving or uh, uh, you have the bias of most sales teams. It's like a traditional uh, job that you know uh, a lot more uh, older white men probably are, uh -huh. are the ones doing it and then setting up the uh -huh setting up the um, what other things are important to mention about that? Yeah, I think you're putting your finger on something really important, which is the ripple effects of leadership in companies. And that has a compounding effect in how organizations are built, because especially in tech where things scale really quickly, uh, you are forced with an impossible and insurmountable challenge sometimes, which is we need to hire really fast. Uh, we need to grow really fast. We need to hit these numbers really quickly. And because of that, like little sacrifices you make in how you hire start adding up really quickly. Like, oh, we'll hire this person and then think about how to be more thoughtful in our process for the next person. But sooner rather than later, you've hired 10 carbon copies of that person. And so to me, as an industry, there tends to be a lot of lip service that's paid to diversity and inclusion. And sometimes that manifests itself in hiring, for example, a head of diversity and inclusion and paying them $250,000 a year. Um, when in fact you could just be for that same amount hiring 25 sales reps from flock right? So uh, changing the way in which we think about it, elevating the social consciousness of the industry is hard and takes work because you have to counteract, a lot of the natural forces of um, solving for things quickly. But that's the good part about FlockJ is we solve for a lot of those things quickly by doing the hard work ourselves, by going bottoms up instead of tops down, where we invest in vetting the talent, certifying the talent, training the talent, sourcing the talent. And we present these amazing candidates who are probably overqualified for this job. And all you have to do is hire them uh, and integrate them into your team and watch them succeed. 80% of our graduates are in the top quartile of performance within the first six months on their job. So that tells you something really clear about 
fact that there is no correlation between what fancy school you're from or who you know in the industry and how well you do if you're set up for success in the company you join. I think you're on mute. How are you, how are you uh, sourcing, finding the, the companies and talking to the companies and selling the companies on sourcing these talent, this talent? Up until this point, a lot of companies find us. I think this is a problem that isn't new and that the solutions have been imperfect for. Companies have been paying recruiters to find talent and those recruiters aren't doing a lot of original work. They aren't owning the risk of that hire. And so that experience has led to a lot of turnover at the entry level for salespeople, when in fact hiring a really good entry sales has an incredibly high ROI for the company. They're usually worth four to five times their salary um, in revenue for the company if you find a really good salesperson. And then you can also promote that salesperson to be a future leader of that company. And so from that perspective, just our experience in tech um, building out this kind of program, having experienced this pain ourselves before building teams, uh, it, isn't, um, it isn't that complicated of a discussion with companies who have this problem to be like, hey, uh, we own that risk. We will invest in doing a lot of the vetting, certifying training. We will support these candidates even after they're placed. We offer a minimum of a year of mentorship, coaching, uh, and support to backfill companies to make sure that folks don't fall through the cracks. Uh, so from that perspective, companies have been finding us, but of course, uh, we're always looking to work with companies who are mission aligned with the values we hold, which are um, enabling environments for folks from uh, non-traditional underrepresented backgrounds to succeed. Um, and now there's enough data that teams with cognitive and identity diversity just make more money in sales because customers are getting more and more diverse. So shouldn't your sales team. Mm, interesting. And how, how is this? You, you went through YC recently, right? Yeah, we went through YC at the beginning of 2019. Uh-huh. And how, what was that process like? How, how, how much had you validated the company before going to YC? Yeah, I think the amount of validation we did was identifying this pain point I just described for companies. And I think presenting, we talked to a lot of companies, like probably top 50 SaaS companies in the Valley and learned a lot about just how they're hiring. And that happened because we've, as I mentioned, lived this problem ourselves. And Going through YC was a great experience for two reasons. One is YC itself is a school and they've been able to scale a school uh, for a very diverse group of people and do it in a way that uh, preserves a lot of the humanity of, of a really great school while also allowing for a decentralized approach where uh, founders are helping founders and people are learning from each other. And so I was really keen to study the mechanics of a place like YC is what, what is the history of YC and how did they go from serving six companies in the first, you know, PG and, and Jessica Livingston batch to now 200 people per batch. Um, and they'll keep going. 
So that to me was really valuable. And then I think there is also an element of um, serendipity when you go through something like Y Combinator because folks are working on such a broad range of problems and you are continuously getting inspired by the kinds of work that others are doing and you come up with interesting ways of combining those ideas together and that's where these partnerships come through and you know you mentioned do folks um, you know like founders ever apply to Flockche like every founder in, in our batch was asking us like how do I take your course uh, you know like every every batch of YC there are 200 companies who need to learn how to sell and that to me is like really interesting as well to think about so forming those relationships I think is really interesting and valuable as well because we want to pay it forward and we do want to help people build their businesses and solve their problems uh, so we got about five minutes left and usually I try to ask one question. I try to get your expertise, try to get the, 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 the guest expertise and try to pull out one valuable thing thread from this that our listeners can get. It sounds like sales is a is really uh, expertise of yours. So I, I'd like to, if there's one thing about learning how to sell either yourself or product, a company, um, what would it be for our listeners to understand how to do that better? Yeah, I think something that is really important when you're communicating with a potential user is the way in which you ask your questions. If you're asking a yes, no question, you don't invite another step in that conversation. You lose an opportunity to learn. And so you can fail at everything else in sales, but if you succeed at one thing, it is asking open-ended questions, having a genuine curiosity into what is the pain that the person you're talking to is experiencing. If your curiosity is genuine and well-informed and empathetic, you can literally mess everything up. Uh, you will succeed in earning the next step in that call. Um, and so to me, that's something that folks miss very often because you're in a rush to get to a yes, no. Uh, and so that would be the biggest piece of advice to give to folks is get really good at asking open-ended and well-informed questions. And it sounds like the root of that is giving up sort of expectation over where that where the conversation is going and remaining kind of in that improv space of like, I have no idea where this is going, could end up anywhere. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. And that, that space between, so to speak, is the most exciting part of sales because you go in with a lot of assumptions on where things are going, but you invite a whole new set of discovery when you don't have those assumptions. And oftentimes the prize is bigger. Mm, very interesting. Well, cool. Anything else that's really important that we, that my listeners would like to understand from what we've talked about? Yeah, I think there is a uh, expectation or assumption that sales is the dark arts, that sales is this opaque thing in a box, that it's not teachable, that only a select few of people are naturally good at it. And I am here to tell you that most of us possess this capacity to connect with others, to move others, to help solve problems, to partner. And FlockJ exists for that. If you are looking for an on-ramp into tech without learning to code, FlockJ is here for that exact reason, no matter what your background is. Like you have that permission to succeed. And so much of what inhibits people 
from success in sales is not seeing success that looks like them and talks like them and is in a, you know, from a place like them. And so I'm here to tell you and Flock J is living proof um, that that is possible and you are more than capable of doing it. And if you have any questions, flockj.com, hello at flockj.com, you know, send us an email or go to our website, flockj.com, and we would be glad to talk to you about, um, about that. I have one more question personally. What, uh, the, the neuro, you, said, you said cognitively diverse as well. Uh, and I assume that means like either autistic or Asperger's or some sort of cognitive uh, like um, neurodiversity essentially, right? Yeah, when I say cognitive diversity, I, I, I split diversity into two buckets. One is identity diversity. So that might be your gender, your race, your geography, or things like that, um, socioeconomic status. Cognitive diversity, I mainly apply to folks who just think about things from different walks of life and ways of processing. So some people might be uh, very high velocity oriented. Some people may be, uh, you know, they may sit with a bunch of, you know, a fewer things, but sit with them more. And I think that kind of cognitive diversity is really important in sales because sales is becoming cognitive and non-routine mm. where the assumption was that it was non-cognitive and routine, like the same repetitive action. Mm. But I think we as, as humans are looking beyond that now and we can smell that that's fake and we don't respond well to that. So being able to improvise, when I say cognitive diversity, it's the ability to adapt and improvise and use different mental models of thinking because your customer, each of them has a different mental model and comes from a different place. That's okay. So next episode, we can, we can talk about mental models and sales. That'd be an interesting, uh, interesting conversation. That's another hour long podcast. <laughs> so yeah. we can definitely do that one next time. Uh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, and, and people can find flock J by uh, flockj.com or, or yep. Flockj.com and send us an email at hello at flockj.com uh, as well. But the easiest is just go to our website, flockj.com, and check out what we're up to and, and be, be a part of the flock. Cool. Are you, uh, are you active on Twitter at all? Or? Yeah, so Flock School is our Twitter handle, and we love uh, empowering and, and supporting folks who are looking to learn about sales. So just tweet at us, and we'd love to, to support you. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Uh, I am releasing episodes every Monday and Friday, uh, and I'm actually going to just start releasing a lot more episodes throughout the week as well, uh, and maybe even throughout the weekend, because I have a whole bunch of episodes that I want to publish and that are really interesting, and I think you guys will find a lot of value in. It was really funny. A few days ago, I'm not going to mention who the guest was, but I had my first unflow-like experience in an interview, uh, which was very interesting to because in every single interview I've done it up until that point, I've reached a state of flow in the interview. Um, and I just, it just happens. And I don't really know why it happens. Uh, and this was the first episode where there was a lot of tension, um, and not really enjoying it. Cause there have been other ones where there've been tension and, and, uh, that, and that was only for the first 30 minutes. Eventually we got into it and, and actually the end of it was, was actually a very, very good episode. It's just something interesting. I'm just sharing this with you randomly. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Sean. Um, check out their stuff on FlockJ. It's pretty cool what they're doing for sales training. Um, and yeah, have a great day. And if you want to listen to those episodes in Spanish that I'm going to create, go to at CrazyWisdomESP on Twitter. Uh, find more information about, about those episodes. So have a great day.